Tattoo Traditions is a podcast dedicated to the history of tattooing and those that have made significant contributions towards it. This episode is sponsored by ButterUp, a natural, organic, vegan tattoo butter that's made in the UK. We've used it and we can't recommend it enough. This is the aftercare for you. Visit www.butterup.co and use the code Tattoo Traditions, all lowercase, to receive 10% off all tattoo aftercare. If you're an artist or a shop interested in stocking this magic, send ButterUp an email for more information. The link is on their website. Follow ButterUp.co on Instagram. This month, we met up with the great Marvin Moskowitz. Marvin is a third generation tattooist from New York. He has been around tattooing all his life and grew up playing in his grandfather's shop on the Bowery. This episode was recorded right around the corner from that shop and it was a pleasure to be able to talk to Marvin about himself and his amazing family. Folks, we're doing it here because it's cool that we're, we're stones far away from yeah. the Bowery. That's, you know, I think that's just sometimes how things work, isn't it? Things like marry up and, yes. you know, we were able to do it today. Today's a good day for you. Yes. And also we're getting to do it so close. Yes. A stone's far away from all our yeah. tattoo history is, is super yeah. cool. And thank you, mate, for doing oh, this. Oh, my yeah. pleasure, my honour. Um, usually what I do is I start at the beginning and I usually tend to ask people like, oh, you know, what was your first thing of tattooing? Blah, blah, blah. But because of you, because of your your tattoo history and your family's tattoo history, I suppose you're always around tattoos, right? Um, you know what? I used to... My, the last New York City shop, my father and his brother, Bowery Stan Moskowitz's home was actually, I believe, 52 Bowery. Yeah. Which isn't far from me. It was 52 or 54. I think it was 52. And that's the shop that I remember. Yeah. I used to... They used My father... We lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. At the time. And my uncle lived like four houses away. Cool. They were married by then and... So they would take me. I, I would hide in the back of the car sometimes, you know, on a Saturday or, yeah. or something. And at that time, one of the reasons I wanted to go was they had, there was a toy store next door. <laughs> and um, coming over, I, it may have been this bridge, or Manhattan Bridge. Uh, it was these big signs, um, billboards. Yeah. And one was this big truck. That smoke came out of the back, and there was a driver with his hand would wave. Yeah. And I'm a young kid, uh, seven, eight. Yeah. And I would love to see that. It was so high, it seemed, you know. Yeah. And well, that's the two reasons back then. But I, I remember vaguely uh, Dick Highland. Yeah. And I remember my father would warn him, um, don't go near the kid. Okay. And they had like a back room at that time. But it was just a tattoo shop. That yeah. My grandfather was too sick to work. Okay. Um, so there was a back room and I would sit there and play. 
First thing my father would take me to the toy store. Yeah. Show me these big elaborate things. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want that. And he said, well, you don't want this? And it would be like a, a, a glass with uh, beer in it. And if you turned it upside down, nothing came out. <laughs> so I remember once he showed me this big cowboy and Indian set with forts and horses and cowboys. It was 20 bucks back wow. in the early 60s. Yeah, that's and, the money. And uh, he tried to satisfy me with these little things. And I... To keep you entertained. I nailed him. He, he bought it for My mother was mad that he spent $20 on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it kept you entertained for the day whilst they were working. Yes, and I would watch on and off, but I wasn't interested in no, it. No, because you were so young. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a little note. He used to, when me and my brother were little kids, when we lived in Brooklyn, he would come home with these wind-up toys. Yeah. Chattering teeth, ducks that hop around, <laughs> rabbits, all kinds of stuff. And he'd actually wake us up yeah. when he got home to... Show it to oh, cool. and stuff. And Tony Polito told me there was a guy that used to stand in front of the toy store yeah. and sell all those. Oh, things. yeah. When they he remembered that. He said, I remember your father, before we, because he would hang out there, yeah. your father would leave. He'd buy a pocket full for you and your brother. <laughs> um, but I didn't get interested in tattooing to be a tattoo artist. Yeah. My mid teens, maybe. My okay. teens. Yeah. You know, I would go on Saturdays, sweep the floor, and they, they taught me how to make needles and mm. and stuff. Um, but I still wasn't a passion to do it. Yeah. It was a way to make a living. Yeah, cool. So I was a slow learner. I was about 18, 19. Actually, I was about 20, 21. They sent me to Tony Polito to try and fine-tune me. Okay. But after about an hour, Tony would say, well, it's time for Chinese food. <laughs> And he had a place down the corner from him. He had his own room with a curtain and everything. We'd spend an hour showing me this and that and about two hours eating everything off the, what's on the menu and stuff. So you learned a lot about eating. Yeah, but then I, I got married when I was 23, I think. My yeah. daughter was 24, so I got married at 23. Mm. And... Um, my uncle and father said I needed my own place. Right. So they actually opened up my first shop for me. Oh, cool. And uh, and that's when I started that's tattooing started. full time. Okay. So uh, other than that, I, I was always chasing other things. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was always a, a weekend job for me. And in the summer, yeah. from about 15 on, my father would make me work with a family friend, Charlie, who was a general contractor. Okay. And the minute high school was over, yeah. I had to work with him to... Um, high school, uh, school started yeah. again. Okay. Um, and it was hard work. Yeah. I made 200 a week back then. Wow. And Charlie, who I worked for, would make sure he'd pay me on a Monday and take me to the bank mm. and make sure I took 20 bucks out for my mother then. 20 bucks out for me, yeah, and then put the, the rest, rest away. Bank. So yeah, at the end of the summer, I would have some. Because otherwise, as a kid, earning yeah. money, you'd just be yeah. spending it all the time. Yeah. So for people listening, Marvin, the, can you just explain a bit about your family history? So, you know, who your dad oh, was? Oh, okay. And... My grandfather, Willie Moskowitz. Yeah. He came here in 19... Oh, boy, 19... Um... 15, I think, 1916. Mm -hmm. His father came here five years earlier. Yeah. 
Our name isn't Moskowitz. Okay. It was Smurges or something. We came from a town that was Russia. Yeah. But you could wake up one morning, it was Poland. Okay. And go to sleep and wake up, it's Russia again. Yeah. I was in uh, Krakow for my 60th birthday six years ago. Mm. And I asked the guy, she wanted to know when he was born. Mm. said, oh, he's Russian. Okay, cool. So nobody knows how my great-grandfather... Wolf Moskowitz got the name Moskowitz. Right. On the boat to come to America, yeah. I have the manifest. Okay. And it has my grandmother, yeah. my grandfather, his siblings. Uh-huh. But Moskowitz isn't the name, but it says they're coming to meet Wolf Moskowitz. Okay, cool. So, um, so my grandfather, he actually was a tailor. Mm. He worked in a, he wasn't a tailor, he worked in a tailor shop with his father. Yeah. Then he met my grandmother, I guess, the late 1990. He bought the tattoo shop in 1930. Right. But it wasn't a tattoo shop. He was a barber. Yeah. The year before he bought it, my grandmother's brother was a barber. Right. So he went from being working in the tailor shop to a, being oh, a barber. Right. So I yeah. guess they be a barber. So he bought this barber shop that was underground, number 12 Bowery. Yeah. And he had transient tattooers. Yeah. Um, Al Neville. Okay. Worked for him at right. one time. Al Neville is the guy that gave uh, Rockwell the tattoo machine to study for that famous painting he oh, did. Oh, right. Cool. Um, but, but a lot of these tattooers he had were drunks, junkies, and stuff. Mm. But somewhere about the mid-30s, he was friends with Charlie Wagner. Yeah. And... Charlie Wagner says, why don't you tattoo? Yeah. So there was a little booth. He refurbished it, yeah. Charlie Wagner. So he started tattooing. Okay. On um, this stories in the family, my father and uncle and my aunt would tell me he'd give a guy a hot shave. Yeah. In the middle of it, somebody would come in for a tattoo. <laughs> he'd do the tattoo, put the hot towel back on the guy, do the tattoo. Yeah. Forget that he half shaved the guy, <laughs> take the hot towel off and send the guy on his way <laughs> Half a shave, half a haircut. Um, so that's how, and he loved the Bowery. From the minute he landed on the Bowery, yeah. he loved the Bowery. Cool. In fact, before they moved to Brooklyn, yeah. the family lived on March Street, right. which isn't far from where the shop was. Yeah, sure. Um, there's a famous painting by Reginald Marsh called Shave Haircut Tattoo. I don't know if it was... Oh, I've never of, seen it. It's the outside of a tattoo shop. Mm. You know, the artist took some liberties and stuff. And for years, everybody thought it was Charlie Wagner's place. Mm. And when my brother was researching to do the, the audio book, yeah. he says, you know, that's Grandpa's place. Oh, cool. And then Carmen Nissen. Yeah, sure. It's one of the top... Tattoo historians. Tattoo historians. Yeah. In fact, I think you could give her the history of your dog. Yeah. And she'll find out <laughs> yeah, she'll every find ounce it. Yeah. back a hundred years to the dog's family. That's how great <laughs> she is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, she did some research and she found Reginald Marsh's notes and stuff wow. to confirm it is. But That's if you look shot. at the painting, it's number 12 Bowery. Yeah. And... Uh, it disappointed some people in the tattoo trade that it was my family's and not Charlie. <laughs> so I'm not going to mention yeah, no, yeah, no names. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got into it. Right, and he was on his own, Marvin. He was tattooing. He was on, on his, his own. own at that time. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the, these the guys he had in the back room were unreliable. Mm. And, and Charlie Wagner at the time actually tattooed at 16 Bowery. Wow. The Billy Hulse bought that shop right. from Charlie Wagner. Apparently mm. they were an item at one time. Yeah. There's a picture I've been trying to find. I only saw it a couple of times. It like disappeared. Mm. To Millie Hole Shop. Yeah. At 16 Bowery. And um, she has a sign get tattooed by someone new, something like that, and forget about the old has been. Oh, right. <laughs> wow. But she ended up killing herself in a cafeteria. Oh, did she? Time. Yeah, whole big story. Wow. Um, my uncle. Yeah remembers as a kid going down and watching a tattoo because she tattooed down the block. You know, people complain, but there were always tattoo shops on top of each other. Yeah, of course. In New York City at that time, in the, in the 30s, 40s, all the tattoos were like in a very small square block. Exactly, yeah. A, another. They weren't very spread out, were they? No. Nah. Well, the Bowery, you had all the military guys yeah. throughout the years. Yeah. You had all the mafia guys, tough guys. Yeah. It, it was, uh, as my father called it, a bucket of blood. You had no subway, you had the L. Right. All the trains were on top of the Bowery. Yeah. So where my grandfather's block was and stuff, my father describes it, you only saw rays of light come down. Wow. Because the L, the, sub, the trains yeah. blocked everything out. Yeah. And number 12 Bowery, was downstairs. Okay. And in fact, I think number 16 was the only one that was upstairs. Yeah. Um, but that's how my grandfather got And he loved the Bowery. My father says he never wanted to go home. Cool. Ever. Sweet. And how long was he there then? How long did he have well, the shop then? He had number 12, then he moved to number 4. Yeah. My father says they moved to number 4. He's still a young kid, but he says all of a sudden, we were above ground, he cool. says. We made it. And then the last shop was, like I said, 52 Barry. He got sick right. somewhere in the mid-50s. He had Parkinson's. Yeah. He died in 62 at 49. Wow. So he was there from 19... He, he loved the Bowery. My yeah. father... My, he didn't want to move. My aunt, mm. my father and uncle's sister, says he just didn't want to... He just loved everything. Yeah. During wartime, during the war, yeah. he would, everything was rationed. Yeah. In, in, in America. Yeah, cool. Gas, meat, this and that. Yeah. My father said through his connections, he had stacks of ration <laughs> uh, certificates and stuff. He says he didn't like my mother, my grandmother's side of the family, so on purpose when they would come over the house, yeah. we'd take out a giant bill forward of bills. Like he's counting, they forgot to count it yeah. or something. Uh, he, I only have vague memories. I was seven when yeah, he was Yeah, of course, you were young. Yeah. I have one memory sitting in the kitchen where him and my grandmother lived, and uh, I have another vision where I'm Papa, he picks me up, but his hands are shaking, he had Parkinson's, oh, yeah. his hands are shaking. Yeah. So I have vague memories yeah, of, course. of him. And then how did that then get passed down then? Who did, so he was tattooing then, my, did he pass it down? Well, my uncle, without going into detail, was a troubled kid, you could say. Yeah. So he ran away from home at about 14, mm. 14, 15 down south. Yeah. And he got locked up. They caught him and they put him in jail yeah. for a few nights. And he was in jail with this guy who actually was a murderer. That uh, I can't think of the guy's name. I'll text you the guy's yeah. name. 
guy was a murderer, and this guy, Dennis James, that was a big television guy at the time, uh, got hold of the story, he's innocent, this, and they had, the guy was let out, mm -hmm. and my, my Uncle Barry Stan would tell the story that in the middle of the night, all of a sudden the guy wakes up, I killed someone, I <laughs> killed someone. <clears throat> so when he got back home, they, uh, my grandfather, he had to go down to the Bowery and start working. So right. he, he was actually about 15 okay. when he wow. started working there. He's five years older than my father. Right. And then my father went down there. Mm. He was 16. He was married with the baby on the way. Yeah, me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And he had to work full time. Okay. So he started working there. Now their brother-in-law, Stanley Farber, who's also known as Flappish Stan. That's right, yeah. He started down there. Wow. Huck Spaulding yeah. worked for my grandfather for a short time. Oh, cool. I think 1948 or something. Yeah. Um, when he was first starting out. Yeah. Uh, my Uncle Stanley Farber's shop, Papa Stan, yeah. Tony P. Lito worked there. Yeah. Tony Cambry, who just... This, uh, Tony the Pirate. Who, yeah, yeah, who just passed away. He worked there for a shop, Royal. Yeah. Jack Dracula worked there. Oh, a lot of people cool. get a little, I don't know if you call it jealousy, but it seems a lot of people in the tattoo trade yeah. had a crossover cross over to yeah. Moskowitz's yeah, cool. in their careers or, yeah. or, or something. Well, I mean, there's quite a few of you, wasn't there, tattooing, if you think... Well, I'm not, no, none of my cousins went into it. Right. I'm, I'm sad to say, I'm, I'm the last man standing in yeah. the tattoo yeah. chronology, which isn't... A nice feeling, no, that's but uh, yeah. I go to the conventions now. I'm I'm like a television star. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a young guy and you had a tattoo machine, you were like a rock star. Yeah. But when you're old man, it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> My nephew, he's 27. He sets everything up, brings everything in and out, whatever. He's the rock star now. All yeah. these uh, young women are are uh, coming on to them. I got to <laughs> tell them, you know, you're not like your uncle. I, you and Ronnie be sleeping in the in the hallway tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, within England, like, you know, most of my tattoo knowledge is from England, right? Right. So, well, you know, you know what's funny? Just to interrupt you. As a kid, and I guess every body who father was mm. from a it's now a famous tattoo yeah of course you think the tattoo world is centered around you yeah and as you get older you see every state mm. other towns yeah had somebody in the tattoo family yeah. just like your family oh right yeah so yeah because i always thought well i still think it's quite a rarity to have that much lineage of tattooing so i think a lot of the time you know you'll hear my dad tattooed or whatever, but it's not usually my granddad tattooed. And yeah, then my some uncle people, well, now, granddad, you know? now, in some of the families that went from son, father to son, yeah. you have third and fourth generation yeah. tattooers now. Yeah. Fourth generation. Yeah. You know, third generation was a little rare, yeah. but it's not rare. It's just like Jewish tattoo artists were rare. Yeah. A real thing. Yeah, definitely. Now, not so much. You know the saying they say Jews take over everything. <laughs> well, 
We're taking over the tattoo shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I mean, you had one-eyed Max Peltz. I don't know if heard Yeah, him. I've heard oh. of him. Now, I know he was a prize fighter. Yeah. The story was that he was a sparring partner for Slapsy Maxie Rosenblum, who was the light heavyweight champ at one time back. Yeah. Then. And that's how he lost his eye. Ah. So Carmen Nissen did some research and she found his boxer. He had about 60 professional fights. And his brother also had about 50, 60 fights. Yeah. This is Wisconsin, I believe, he okay. came from. Right. I, I really don't know the history how he made his way to New York City, yeah. Coney Island and stuff. Is that where he was? Coney yes, Island. I believe he was in Coney Island. Because it's interesting as well. Cause so he was Jewish. Uh, just to right, get oh, okay. Um, you had Looney Joe. Yeah, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it still had them, but it was rare. Jewish tattoos. Yeah, but now you have them, Brad Fink. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of Jewish tattoo artists. Yeah. That and 25 cents will get your care, bro. <laughs> 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 so when when you started tattooing, do you feel like it was on the cards for you? Do you feel like the family No, you know like, what? To tell you the God's honest truth, I never had a passion for it. Yeah. My father and my two uncles, it was strictly a way to feed the family. Yeah. They weren't great artists. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a passion. I'm a tattoo artist. I, I have children. Yeah. I got to feed them. Okay. Um, I, did, I Tell you the truth, I did it to make money. Yeah. I didn't have... Tell you the truth, I wanted to be a boxer, professional fighter. That yeah. was my passion. Yeah. Didn't work out. Yeah. But I always, you know, tattoo. And like I said, I was in California for ten years. I tattooed out of people's houses. Yeah, nice. I did. I, I try to get it. I'm always trying to get into something else. Yeah. So. Yeah. And my father and uncle always instilled on me: you have to have a side business. Right. Because you could be put out of business at any time. Okay. They were put out of business in the 1963 ban. Yeah. Which turned out, actually to be good for them because they yeah. went out to Long Island and, yeah. and Copeg, Amityville. They had the whole area to themselves for 10 years. Because that's what they did. They and they made a fortune. They, right. they, I call them the godfathers of Long Island tattooing because yeah. there was basically nobody there then. Okay. They're the ones that fought the Board of Health and the Health Department and this and that. Yeah. So when guys came 10 years later, 20 years later, it was easy for it's them. It's already set up. Yeah, it's already yeah. set up. Yeah. Wow, that's wild to so, think that it was a I, I remember as a kid the Board of Health coming and busting their hump over nothing. Really? A little story is my father knew a lot of people. Mm. He had the gift of, like my baby brother Doug says, my father could hold a conversation with a Bowery bum mm. and hold a conversation with the President of the United States. Yeah. Um, as uh, Clayton Patterson says mm. about me, he says, even if you don't know the subject, you got enough bullshit, people will believe you know the subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a gift. Yes. Um, so somebody told him, first he went to a lawyer Yeah. that was around the block from where he lived in Northport, Long Island. Mm. And the guy said, I don't handle people like you. Oh. The guy ended up being a judge, right. Judge Brown, one of the most crookedest judges in, in Long Island. Yeah. But anyway, so... Somebody else told my father, listen, that was in the Republican Party that yeah. ran Long Island at the time. Yeah. 
200 a plate dinner, buy a plate, and you get the Board of Health off your back for a while. So they did. Yeah. It lasted about a year, a year and a half, then they started. And, you know, things change, politicians yeah. change, Board of Health, the heads of the Board of Health change. Yeah. And every time there was a hepatitis C outbreak, they would try to blame my father and uncle. Right. But he got friends with the head guy there, uh, George Scott, I believe. Okay. Uh, Inspector Scott, Dr. Scott. I forget what his first name was. Yeah. My father, he would come and hang out. He was friends with my father. My father said, I can't stand when he hangs out. You got to watch yourself, this oh, and that. Yeah, oh, yeah. But anyway, every time there was an outbreak of hepatitis, he actually made it his business yeah. to track it down. And okay. it always came that it was from a restaurant or a bar or something. Yeah, it was never from tattoos. No, no. But it was just easy for people to point the well, finger Well, that's, there. they used it was a hepatitis outbreak in the city yeah. to outlaw it. Right. So, you know, it, it's not a, today it's, I don't know if they got power or what, but it was only a handful of tattoos in each state at the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And they were all doing it for money, to feed their family. A few of them were great artists. Yeah. That were very artistic. Some sold supplies. You know, I get so tired where you have the blame game from people that took the mystique, the lid off a tattoo. Mm. You could go back to Charlie Wagner selling supplies. Yeah. Zeiss selling supplies. Zeiss selling supplies. And they sold to anybody. Yeah. It was no Kits. secret It was kids thing. as well. Huck Spaulding sold to anybody. My yeah. father and uncle had the supply business. They sold oh, to everybody. s and W tattooing. Oh, right. I spent a lot of sweat and tears mixing inks because it was all power for them. Oh, yeah. They made the different colors and wow. making 100 needles a day. And because it was money. I that put was, my time in. That was another way of them making money, yes, though, wasn't it? But they didn't go into the supply business basically to the 70s. Right. Huck Spaulding tried to... My uncle got the formula for this yellow. Mm. And Huck went, I believe it was... I don't know if it was DuPont. I forgot who it was. And tried to get DuPont to only sell the, the inks, the, the pigments, yeah. to him. Yeah. So my father says we got to go into the supply business... Well, we had a business. Yeah. And it turned out a good deal at the time. Yeah, cool. But everybody, Paul Rogers, as great as he was, sold to anybody that came up to him. Yeah. Um, everybody. And yeah. then you got the guys that owned four or five shops, apprenticing guys. I knew one guy, he had four shops. He had a, 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 a um, Pearson school. Yeah. And... Um, he apprenticed people, and then he was one of the biggest complainers. His shops all over, this oh, yeah. and that. I know another guy had five shops, and the same thing. Yeah. They try to play the blame game to get get it off of that. Yeah, but everyone's had their aura in, haven't they? And, and, stuff. and he had the tattoo convention, mm. which took the mystique off of it. Yeah. You had Tuttle, mm. with all his publicity, Yeah. took a little of mystique off. Yeah. It's not no one single person's blame. No. Everybody's to blame. Yeah, cool. That, that, that's one of my pet peeves, that mm. they try to blame this one, that one. Mm. Now, today, you have everybody. I just came from the Philadelphia Convention. Mm. Everybody, every tattooer is signing and selling aftercare. Oh. Tattoo supplies. Yeah. Their own machines. Yeah. You, got, you got more machine builders than you got tattoo artists. <laughs> yeah. uh, and everybody's corporate sponsored all of a sudden. Yeah. So it's a different trade today. It's a different industry, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to what yeah, we were no, talking no. about. <laughs> I told you I'd go off. <laughs> um, 
Um, when you started tattooing then, they, you said they got you the shop. So that, where was Well, the... I started, how they did is they, they had a, they owned the building. Yeah. And uh, what happened is in the 60s, yeah. late 60s, a guy that owned the building gave them first crack. Mm. And my father and uncle says, we, let's buy the building. We could be out of, they could do what they did in the city again. We'll own the building. Yeah. So they set me up a little place upstairs and in the bathroom. Yeah. And they would get me guys that wanted free little tattoos. I yeah. tattooed some of my friends. Yeah. One of my friends, I put a Tweety Pie oh. on him. Shit, this has to be in, in the, I was 73, I was 18, so 72 or something. Mm. And he says, I don't know what you did, but look, it looks like feathers. I mean, all the lines are, you know, oh, yeah. zigzagged. <laughs> realism. Uh, I, I, realism see, I haven't seen the guy in years. When I lived in California, I hooked up with him. He had moved there too before me. Mm. And he wears it like a badge of honor. Uh. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, don't show that. <laughs> Magic in that one. Yeah, so I, I, I know how to tattoo. They sent me to Tony Polito in Brooklyn. Mm. Tony was a great guy. It was like an event when he would visit my father and oh, uncle. Yeah. He'd bring conishes or corned beef sandwiches or all kinds of pastries from the Italian bakery. Yeah. Stuff. He was a great guy. Yeah. He's a legend yeah. within tattoo history yeah. in New York. In fact, my father is the one that sold him his first tattoo machine. Oh, really? Yes. I told you, everybody in the it's Brooklyn... It's all connected. Yeah. But it wasn't connected in a way that... Because you hear a lot of stories of that person didn't like that person. Well, it did. Person. It did, but... For my father and uncle to be friends with you, you had to be a different type of guy. Right. They didn't go for no bullshit. Yeah. They, they actually didn't socialize with many of the tattooers. Coney Island and Freddie, they would visit in Coney Island. Yeah. My father would, we were little kids, this is the 60s. Yeah. We would go down, visit Coney Island Freddie. Yeah. I don't know what was with my father. They had a wax museum of horrors. Yeah. And... I must have been maybe eight, so my brother was five. Yeah. And you go in, it's all these guys soaring these people in bathtubs and hanging them up on hooks. And my brother had nightmares for years. So. <laughs> I bet Jack Dracula liked it in there. I don't know. Dra I'll tell you, if we get on, I'll tell you my recollections of Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, um, I think he's interesting because... Well, he he kind of took it more freak show, kind of that freak well, show. Well, he wanted to be in the freak show. That's right. why he got his face. My father and uncle wouldn't do his face. Uh, my uncle did that big eagle on him. Yeah. Um, they did some of the monster faces. and yeah. He hung out with them a while. My father told me that he would go on the subway with Dracula. He had one of these long black coats with a hood. And they, they would he, he, they'd go on the subway and he'd sneak up on these people and spook oh, them and stuff. It? Yeah. Really playing um, into it. The Bowery was great. My father had this fighter, Jaime Kaplan, was an up-and-coming heavyweight, mm. mob-connected fighter, uh, boxer, and he would give my father and uncle the winner of the horse races at the, the Trotters a week in advance. Oh, nice. So my father loved it there, too, all kinds of crazy... It was all characters, yeah. wasn't yeah. it, around that time? Yeah. Yeah, lots, of, lots and lots of characters. Did you, um, when did you get your first tattoo then, Marvin? They made me wait till I was 18. Did they? Yes. Yeah. And then they told me, my father told me, as long as you live in my house, that's the only one you're allowed to have. Oh, cool. My father only had one, and wow. he had it on his leg. He had this cowboy. Oh, nice. With my name on top. Yeah. And when my brother 
Stephen came along, he put his name on the bottom. Oh, nice. Now, my other two siblings, my sister and my baby brother, asked him, why don't you put our names? He only got theirs. And he says, well, maybe that tells you something. <laughs> <laughs> but he had it on his leg so his grandmother wouldn't see it. Okay. And he only had one. Yeah. All these years. Wow. Um, my uncle had done that tattoo. Oh, right. For him. Cool. What, what did you get as your first one? Oh, I got this bird and rose. My, oh, no. I wanted to get all kinds of stuff. He says, you'll get this or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Sweet. So good. I had uh, a little operation on my arm. Yeah. So they were able to put it together. And I had it redone. Yeah, you had it redone. 20 years ago. Man. Yeah, nice. Then yeah. my second one, I had uh, um, Dave and Fly, Jerry Fly. I can't never heard. Okay. Fly was is a big name. His son tattoos on Long Island. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was a nice guy too, Fly. Yeah. Um, he opened up a shop with his partner, Dave, in Islip, a few towns over from mm. me. It was about eight months, almost a year after I got that. Mm. So I went there, and they don't want to give it. Your father's going to come down. He's going to oh. rent the place, this and that. Your uncle, we don't want to deal with your uncle. <laughs> but I convinced Dave to do it, a little butterfly. Yeah. And I hid it from my father for a year. I was in Florida with him at the beach. I would go this way, that way. Oh. So after he found out I had it, yeah. he says, how'd you he says, the reason I didn't notice at the beach, because I used to take you when you're a little kid at the beach, and you're on this side, that side. Yeah. So it was nothing unusual. Yeah, yeah. Um, how I, he found it is I'm painting the deck in the back one day, and yeah. my brother, Stephen, the one after me, yeah. said, goes to my mother, ask him why he's wearing those socks. Or high socks. Those, like, high socks. <laughs> oh, so he, he got mad, but he made me go down the next day, and he put this dragon on top of it. Oh, he covered it up? Yeah. Oh, that's great, that dragon. So I, I broke Look my... at the yellow in that dragon. Yeah. This is done, I was about 19. No So I'm 66 way. now. We'll have to take a picture yeah. of that, Marvin, so people can see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, he covered it up, that's so funny. Oh, he was furious. Was he? I, I broke every... I, I made life easier for my siblings. I got three of them. Yeah, so yeah. But I was the beard one. Okay. I wasn't allowed to have a motorcycle. Yeah. And the... In the dark of night, I bought a motorcycle, I snuck it into the garage, <laughs> and I, I just left like I had to go to work the next morning. I, I was doing uh, um, land, not, not the land scheme, the general contract. Yeah, yeah. And my mother walks in, and she, she tells the story, she says, I thought I was in somebody's house. Then she called my father every night under the sun, you let him get that motor. My father says, what are you talking about? He didn't know about it. No, no, but I just, that's what I did. <laughs> why, why do you think he was annoyed that you, was it that you'd got tattooed by someone else don't forget no, oh this is the early very early 70s he yeah. was tattooing you know the guys that were tattooing weren't upstanding yeah they were undesirable so he didn't want me to my uncle at the time only had two I think three tattoos did he? at the time yeah we it would, wasn't as common to be, like, covered no, as he, he, now. It was more he like... didn't want me... Well, let's just say, as I grew older, if I talk back to my mother or cross the line, I get a little smack in the back of the head. Who do you think you're talking to? Your scumbag for friends in the street? Oh, really? Yeah. When he passed away and me and my siblings were talking, I told him the story, almost in unison. Yeah. Daddy never said anything like that about our friends. <laughs> <laughs> So that could be a reason. Then after a while, I was getting them. Yeah. He, uh, I didn't get them to tell you the truth. I didn't 
I had maybe three tattoos going into the 90s. Yeah. And then I started... Uh, got a few more. Yeah. Yeah, but that was more commonplace then, I think, wasn't it? Just like one there. Yeah, one there, I, one there, my mother kept saying, stop doing this. And then they finally said, he's an adult, he has a child, <laughs> he has children, he has yeah. a wife. Yeah. What does it matter anymore? Yeah. <laughs> but then you had people walking around, like, because um, Wagner was really tattooed, wasn't he? Like, You know what? In those days... Body suits were the common. Right. Um, George Bichot, yeah. I believe his name is. Bichette, yeah. I read somewhere in one of his books that he wrote that people came to him to be turned into freaks. Right. He called them freaks. Body suits, because at that time you could make a living in the sideshows. Yeah. And you made a good living. Right. Of course, as years passed, the do-gooders thought that these people that are making good money mm. are being taken advantage of. Right. So they made it illegal, the sideshows, mm. but they weren't willing to pay the people the money. Like everything else, they, they, they're against abortion, but they don't want to ra- give the parent anything money to help them yeah. raise the kid if they have the kid. Yeah. You know, that, things never change in every industry, every yeah. facet of life. Yeah. There's always somebody that doesn't want this or that, but they're not willing to pay for the, you know yeah. people's livelihood or whatever being taken away. Mm. The carnival thing was quite a big part of tattooing, and it's not really that talked about. It is documented, but not as well, is it? The fact that there was loads of tattooers working in carnivals. And stuff, yes, and yes. Loads of people travelling tattooing yes, carnivals. Yes, the, 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 heavily tattooed. You know what they used to tell you? The carnival tattooers, they wrap it up and say, don't take this off for a week, because they'd be in the next town by the, after oh. a week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's like you used to have in boxing in England. You had the booth fighters. Yeah. And the carnival. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. And part that of you don't have that. You know that faded out. Yeah. So but, when you who what sort of people you tattooing then in the seventies late seventies you started. You still had the bikers. Yeah. Until they just figured out they could go into the tattoo business themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, women were. Rare, yeah, but it was becoming not so rare. Yeah, um, they ruined my life because you were a rock star with that thing. <laughs> I just couldn't uh, help myself, <laughs> so it ruined everything. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but it was good. I had a good shop. I had a shop in Inwood, but I only had that for a, a couple of years. I moved to a better location at the town over mm. then I got in some trouble so uh, yeah they, my father and uncle made me get rid of the shop I had to be held on a short leash oh yeah so I went back to work for them and then I moved to California okay and you tattooed in California but you were just tattooing yeah just one, one, one of my friends I thought he was in the electronic business he had Karen Carpenter's old house on a hill built into the mountain into wow. a rock yeah. In fact, if you watch some of the very old porn films, you'll mm. see a house where they're outside swimming, they dive in, they come into the house. Ah. Um, that was the house I would tattoo him and some of his friends. It turned out they were big coke dealers. Yeah. <laughs> but you would never know it. No. <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, you had a good time in there. Yeah. 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 I suppose it was kind of getting more glamorous then, though, wasn't it, tattooing? You know so what? I went down to the famous Venice Beach. Yeah. 
And you know when the, they show Venice Beach and the weightlifters? Mm-hmm. It looks like it's blocks long. Yeah. It's maybe a block or two long. That's I, right. I, I took my, my daughter the first few years would come out and live with me in the summertime for yeah, 10 nice. weeks. And we were trying to find it. Mm. But we, it was so small, we just kept walking up yeah, and down you past thought, it. Well, it can't be that. Yeah. Yeah, we did uh, the same thing. Yeah. I forgot. But there was only one shop. Was there? Well, maybe two, but the one I remember, one side sold, like, jackets and, head, you know, marijuana paraphernalia. They yeah. call it a head shop. Yeah. And the other side was the tattooing. Oh, right. So. Do you remember who that was, Mark? No. Nah. This is shit. 22, this was 30-something years ago. Yeah. But they were, there was few, but they weren't really, they were spaced out at the time. Mm. Now they wrote, I haven't been back to California since uh, eight, uh, 98 when I left. Okay. And uh, they were all over the place. Just like New York, I came back, there were tattoo shops all over the place. Mm. And the Board of Health was still trying, uh, making it difficult. Constant. Well, yeah. they, you always get a new inspector that wants to make a name for us. So ah, right. They know nothing about tattooing. We had know. one inspector, love tattoo Lou, Lou mm-hmm. Rubino. Yeah. And when McCabe's book came out, he, get, he came in for an inspector. Did you see my friend Lou Rubino? Has, he's in a book, this <laughs> and that. So I took the back. You mean the book where my family is the first chapter? <laughs> <laughs> but Lou used to... Try to take credit. He he opened up Long Island. He didn't come out to fifteen years after my father opened. Oh yeah. It. You know that that's it. Never changed. That mm-hmm. according to what my father used to tell me about the other tattooers, it never changed. Yeah. My father said if a tattoo is coming to visit you, mm-hmm. that means they're slow and they want to see if you're making money. Oh really? Because yeah. they're trying to scout out the area. In fact, when Tony Polito started taking. The new Brooklyn guys out to meet my father. Yeah. My father once told them, don't bring these guys. Okay. But after a while, he would bring them, and he got friends with them. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Ronnie and uh, Richie Montgomery. Oh, yeah, and of stuff. Course. They're real nice people. Like I said, if my father was your friend, if he took the time to talk to you. Yeah. You were in. You were in. Yeah. You know? Did you, um, well, they, they were painting their own flash and stuff, weren't they? Because I've seen. You like, know what? They had a guy, Jake, right. who's also a tattooer. He's a McCabe's book. He drew a lot of the flesh for my father. Yeah. Um, Jack Dracula drew a couple of big sheets. They, they drew some stuff, but they weren't into painting but, flesh. Because it was a work thing, wasn't it? It yes. was like, it, it, yes. to and sit they, there They and had stuff design. left over from Jonesy and, and Charlie Wagner that they sold. In right. fact, I believe Mike McCabe owns a couple of pieces. Yeah. Um, I guess they must have tried it. They drew some stuff years ago because when Eddie first started having his conventions, it was at the Philadelphia airport, 98, yeah. Yeah. 99. I went upstairs, up to the building they owned, I found these cartons of old flash. Yeah. Some of it was bent over there. And I says, what are you doing with this stuff? Well, mm. we're going to throw it. I, I, I straighten everything out, clean them up, I put... Tape. I should have done a little better job. Yeah. But original Bowery Flint. That's nice. stuff that they had dr- drawn. Oh wow! Over the years, yeah. mostly my uh, uncle Bowery Stan and yeah. family father. Cool. And uh, we took it, and I sold a lot of it. Yeah. My my father and uncle start selling all this stuff in the late 
mid to late 90s already. They, yeah. My father was getting sick Yeah. from shit when he was 55 to 65. He had two heart attacks. He had his gallbladder taken out. He had his prostate taken out. It's rough on you. He had a slight strop. I kept coming back from California. Yeah. To help my uncle run the shop. Yeah. Well, he was sick a couple of times. I came back. I would stay for two, three months at a time. Yeah, try and get him out of yeah. trouble. Yeah. And then, you know, it's my history, but it was all my two uncles, my father and my... I don't like to take credit. I was yeah. just there. Some people, I was born into the family. Yeah. Now I'm alive to tell the stories. I've got to get down. I'm going to write the... Definite book on the Moscow. I was going to say because is there is there much published in Wales? Um, Carmen Nesson wrote a thing on my grandfather. Yeah, she wrote a thing on Flappish Stan. She wrote a thing on uh, the Human Autograph. Yeah, um, Dick Highland. Dick Highland used to pass himself off as a prize fighter because he was mm -hmm. a very famous prize fighter. Dick Highland. Uh -huh. His real name was Billy Urin. Right. And um, he, he took the name, and yeah. I had a card I bought. I, I have a tremendous amount of boxer memorabilia. Oh, nice. my thing. Oh, I got cool. cards going back to 1910. I got wow. a Dick Island card. But she researched it. He would get arrested for impersonating the guy. <laughs> but apparently he saw a lot of big fights because yeah. my father was a fight fan. Yeah. There was a guy, James J. Jeffries at the time, mm. legendary champion. At that time, he was six foot... Uh, Three, 240. So my father used to say, you see us dick was Jim Jeffries in, in shape. Mm -hmm. And he look at my father with this smirk. Six foot three, 220 pounds. Was he in shape? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you've mentioned the audio book a couple of times. Oh, the, the, audio the audio book? book. You know, for people like listening and stuff, can we talk about that? And yeah, how go that ahead. Came about and stuff? Okay, my father got lymphoma yeah. in the early 2000s. In fact, that, the last time that uh, Eddie's convention was at the airport, 99 maybe, my father was very sick. It was yeah. like a cold, coughing up a lung, this and that. About six months later, he was diagnosed with lymphoma, uh -huh. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the yeah. worst kind. And it took about two years. They got him in remission. So he was in remission for four years. And when they finally told him, you don't have to come back, you're totally in remission. Six yeah. months later, he came back. Yeah. And he was given a year. So my baby brother, Doug, who produced the whole thing, cost him a lot of money, mm. he um, got an idea just to record my father, just memories of life. Yeah. And he bought all this recording equipment, yeah. and it turned into a labor of love. Yeah. And then it turned into all the tattoo stories and stuff. So yeah. that's how it came. And if you listen to the two discs, as it goes on, you can see my father's voice getting a little weaker and Definitely. weaker. Yeah. Um, and it took my brother five years to finally finish it. Wow. And my father has passed away already. Right. Um, so that's how... That came about. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff he edited out. Yeah. Um, there was stuff with my aunt, who's the oldest out of the two, of, the three of them. Yeah. That, they, she got inf information from how my grandmother would make the illegal booze in the bathtub <laughs> and stuff. In fact, the, the thing that she found out when my grandfather and Millie Hull were tattooing on the same block. Yeah. They lived on the same block, Mott Street, but a couple of 
blocks yeah. away from each other. Wow. So everything was connected. Yeah. Um, on the audio book, like I had a friend, I had a shop in Long Island. And with the, I opened it with my father. He was feeling better, almost in remission. He wanted one more shop. So I opened, he opened it with me. And um, I had knew this guy, uh, Slats, Tony Slats. Yeah. All tattooed up, uh, soldier in the Colombo family. Right. And um, it, it, he used to boast that uh, he did 40 years mm. on and off in, mm. the, in the big house. <laughs> He's a funny guy. I got good friends with him. Yeah. And uh, I would go to his house. He'd show me these Austin crafts he made when he was locked up. He had a scrapbook every time he made the newspaper. Right. With all the articles and stuff. Yeah. But he got tattooed by Charlie Wagner. Okay. And there's an interview in there. Mm. My brother was able to interview me. Oh. It describes going to Charlie Wagner. Oh, nice. And stuff. Cool. It's interesting documentation yeah. and yeah. stuff. In fact, I, I'll send you a photo of my brother made a photo, three shots of him. Of his work by, oh by Wagner. Yeah. Oh, cool. How it's yeah. looked over the years. Yeah. And for, if people want to get, they can get in touch with you. If they want to get. Yeah. Get, uh, my website. Yeah. Bowery Tattoo. Bowery Tattoo com. Yeah. And they can message. There's you some there. shirts there, books and yeah. whatnot. I'm adding more stuff. Cool. And um, Minnie Hole's interesting, isn't she? Because there wasn't really anyone tattooing a woman tattooing at that time. You had a few. You had. Maud Wagner. Yeah. No relation to Charlie. Right. Um, she was all tattooed up also. Yeah. But probably at that time you had a very few hand you had women that were fully tattooed, yeah. Worked in the sideshows and stuff. Yeah. But tattoo artists are very, very small, maybe across the states. In England I know they had some. Yeah, only a couple though. Um yeah, same here. Same, very yeah. rare. And she she I don't know, she went crazy in her old age or whatever. Yeah. I think she was still tattooing. Was she? Apparently there was an automat nearby. Yeah. She went there and committed suicide or wow. something. Yeah, amazing. Where my the block where my grandfather's shop was I don't know it was four or twelve, there was a drugstore, which was a world famous drugstore. Yeah. And um the tour buses was a stop on the tour bus. Mm -hmm. My father used to tell me as a little kid, he used to watch him mix up the cough medicine. Mm. And there was a lot of cocaine in it. Ugh. And he says that I would mix it once or twice. You know when he was mixing it, he said, I would go watch him sometimes. But you knew when he was mixing it, you have a line of the, of the bombings and stuff. Everybody, <coughs> <coughs> you know, fake coughs. <laughs> My father had a lot of memory. He was there at 16. Yeah. And, you know... There was a bucket of blood. A lot of times they had to fight their way out. Yeah. As they got older and, and stuff, mm. they had to fight their way out. You had the mafia. Yeah. You had tough guys, drunk military people, mm. and just tough guys. Yeah. And he says, you know, these younger guys stuff glorify the stories. Yeah. But we were at risk. Yeah. Our lives were at risk. Definitely, every day. We we're trying to feed. I had two kids, and I'm trying to feed them, and I have to punch it out with, a, with, with these yeah, guys. Well, one big fight they had, some guy, my uncle says, was ready to stab my father. And some guy hit him. Mm. My uncle hit him. Yeah. And the thing went under the thing. When the cops came, they found the blade. Oh. In fact, I don't know if you ever heard the gangster mafioso Crazy Joe Gallo. Okay, I've heard the name. He hung out next door and would help him out in the <laughs> fights sometimes. In fact, there's five of these old barber chairs, which just wire chairs with wood. Mm. 
One of them, Joe Gallo hit a guy over the head. Which one, I couldn't tell you. Why? So what do I, they, my mother and aunt once had to go down and get them out of the tombs, which is the underground jail. They had a, a fight with a couple of guys, yeah. and um, they locked them, four of them up. My mother says she goes to get them. They're these two guys. They look like somebody worked them up. They got hit by a truck or something. Yeah. was the guys that they had to fight with. So they paid the bill, whatever, and they got my father and uncle. <laughs> and my father says he was in the tombs. He just stood in the corner. Yeah. You know, just not touching nothing. It no. was like a rat-infested oh, cell. <laughs> and you mentioned about the doing conventions as well. You did a convention recently. Yeah, I did the Philly convention. And like I was saying, it's not the... First of all, the old guys are dead. Tony Polito's gone. Mm. Crazy Eddie's gone. Mm. They're all, all, all gone. I, I actually went to see Buddy Whaler and, and Dana Brunson yeah. and, and, and a couple of guys. But they canceled out, don't yeah. you know, with the COVID, COVID and, and, and yeah. stuff. You know, Dana Brunson's about 10 years older than me. He's mm. a, I just missed the Vietnam War. Mm by my age, he, he's a Vietnam vet. Mm. So, and he actually was vaccinated, but he caught it. Anyway. Again, yeah. not a severe case. Yeah. I'd love to talk to him. Oh, you'd, you'd have, he, if you want tattoo history. Yeah, he's the guy. Oh, he, man. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to talk to yeah. him. He, and he's a very nice guy. Is he? Cool. He'll even buy you a donut. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to get tattooed by you now then, Marvin, well, I, you know what? I, I had a guy on Long Island in New York, mm. a friend of mine, Dan Hecht, great right. tattoo, a great guy. Yeah. Before this pandemic, I was going once every couple of months tattooing some guys in this, in this place. I yeah. got to reconnect with him. Yeah. It, it's a two-hour ride for me, but I would spend the weekend, see some old friends and yeah. stuff. Um, and other than that, I do like the Philly convention when it's there. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I know some people, I, I got to make arrangements that I could use their shops and stuff. But Dan Heck on Long Island is yeah. the main guy that lets me. He, 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 he got smart in this day and age. Yeah. Great tattoo. You could be a great tattooer if you don't have the spot. Yeah. You're not going to make money. No. But where he was on Lockfield Road in East Northwood, this name of his shop is Lord Sparrow. Okay. Tattoo. Cool. On one strip, there's three, four tattooers. Yeah. So he moved like a town over. He got a job with, with the town. Yeah. And he tattoos after work. Cool. That's how you can make... Everybody I know that's making a lot of money or claim they're making a lot of money, they have another side gig. Yeah. Or their wife has a good salary. Yeah. So yeah. everybody's not making a fortune. No. That's why if you're making a fortune, why are you selling supplies at conventions? Mm. Right. Why, why don't you else. leave that to the supply company? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you still enjoy tattooing now, Marvin, when you get to do it. You know what? I enjoy it more now because whatever I make is mine. I'm yeah. divorced a long time. My daughter and my son-in-law is a principal on the yeah. Lower East Side of Manhattan, a yeah. minority school. Yeah. My daughter is a, a therapist, a uh you know, you have problems, you tell your therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they make money, I don't have to support. Yeah. You know, so whatever I make goes to me and my yeah. grandchildren. And there's not the stress of like... There's no stress, because I, I, I go to the convention, I tattoo what I want. Yeah, exactly. Anybody, you could, the guy came up to me, he wants a giant 
eagle and snake inside his uh, thigh like that. I yeah. just uh, we don't do that. Yeah. Go uh, some you know some other guy. I'm not doing that. Nah, you just want to. I do little tattoos, yeah. hundred bucks each. Yeah. Cool. I sell some books. I sell T-shirts. Yeah, the audio that. books and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to try and yeah. keep the family history alive. In fact, I got a friend of mine that I don't know if you ever heard a book under my skin. Okay. In fact, I buy him wholesale and sell him sometimes. It's a big book. Mm. It was a labor of love with him. But he started in the early 70s, and he actually didn't publish it till 203. Wow. And one, he's a photographer, so one is a portrait of the tattooer, one is the interview. Yeah. And which they actually wrote the old interview. Cool. And then you have Shotzi Gorman, Kate Hillebrand. Yeah. Uh, all the people that were just starting out at that time, uh, Paul Rogers, um, or the guy from New York that just passed away. Tom know. DeVita. Tom DeVita. Tom DeVita's first tattoo was by my grandfather. Oh, wow. He says it in one of the videos he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Vice thing that he did. Yeah. Yeah. He says it. Yeah, he's another legend, huh? Yeah. I never met him. No? It's a different part of town, though, wasn't I it? I was told you don't get friendly with with these guys, right. I, and wasn't my thing. When I was married, I tattooed. My father's floor waxer was selling a waxing machine. Next week, I was in the floor waxing business. I went into the office cleaning business. My friend had a huge landscaping business. I yeah. was doing Just five whatever. things. I had a yeah. box of memorabilia, mail order business. Yeah. Um, I was doing everything. Yeah. And what happened is, as time went by, I was spinning my wheels, making a lot of money. I bought a truck one day. The next day, I bought a piano for my daughter, this and that. And then my marriage was going by, the, and I was just spinning my wheels. And mm. the last chore was on a Sunday. I woke up. I had to take a 30-minute ride to do it, the floors in this giant bar. I was all crippled over. Mm. And I just, my uncle called me. That was the big shot in the music business. Yeah. I told you that. Academy of Music, when he passed away a few years ago, named a yearly award after him, the Gary Haber Lift and Lies Award. Mm -hmm. He called me up, they just came, him and my Uncle Archie, my, one of my mother's other brothers, mm. had 53 professional fights in the board. Wow. Telling me about this big fight, they came back from Vegas, they just saw and stuff. I said, you know what, fuck this. Told my wife, I'm moving to California. Are you coming or you mm. staying? Yeah. She stayed. Ha 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 